0: Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, as we meditate on your first coming, we pray that you would give us grace and strength to live as we anticipate your second coming, and as we give thanks to you for the indescribable gift uh, that is your very self. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And uh, just uh, clearing a few things up, it does say in the bulletin that uh, B- Father Ben is preaching, but as you can see, that is not the case. Um, uh, ben is ill today. He is really, really down ill, uh, and so this is sort of a last-minute thing. So if it helps, if you're expecting Ben, just sort of squint your eyes, take dozens and dozens of pounds and a grain goatee off of me and... We'll go with that. Um, the, the, uh, you know there's a, a nice little Christmas surprise there, but I, I know that he would uh, covet uh, he would very much covets uh, your prayers. Um, so uh, the gospel passage is the uh, is what we'll be considering today and just so you know as I this is not technically preaching, uh, Ben has done all the legwork. This is Ben's sermon. This is Ben's manuscript. I'm just sort of the sermonic busboy here. Uh, if, if that helps. So whatever compliments you have, pass on to him, not to me. I'm just a pinch hitter. Sorry for the mixed metaphors, but uh, here we go. Um, so, so last week, uh, it, it was in the post-dispatch, uh, a writer who, who inscribed about a couple of trends that were troubling him. Uh, and in doing so, he unintentionally voiced what we might call Advent's longings. In Advent, we long for a savior uh, to come. Uh, and so some of these trends he mentions. The first trend is death. This writer has faced a tidal wave of death as many of his friends have died. Some were healthy. Some had battled some illness. He also noticed that death doesn't seem to follow tidy rules. He wrote that this year the younger Jimmy Buffett died, but old Warren Buffett keeps on going. The second troubling trend, he said, was apocalyptic news. War in the Middle East, war in Europe the threat of Iran getting a nuclear weapon, China's aggression, and so on. Maybe an unlikely hero will come along and save us. After all, Winston Churchill was such an unlikely hero in Great Britain who saved the West from the Nazis. Yet, number one, Churchill ended up kind of on a note of despair in his later career. And we really don't see a Churchill on the horizon right now. So we still are left with the longing for a Savior. These are Advent longings. And Advent is the right time to consider our longing for a Savior because it prepares us to fully appreciate the gift of Christmas. The good news of Christmas is that God has given us that Savior, his very Son, As the angel Gabriel announced to Mary in our gospel passage, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It's interesting. We need a supernatural Savior. We need the Son of God because we need a Savior who can rescue us from the problems and the powers too great for us to overcome. God has given us this Savior the very gift of his Son. Uh, and that's an interesting title, the Son of God. It's a title for the Messiah, the the Anointed One. This is how Mary would have understood it in her context. In this miraculous birth, there's no other way of describing it. God is fulfilling the promise he was making over a thousand years prior that a Messiah would come from the line of King David. And his kingdom would never end. So let's remember, first of all, that God's word is sure. God keeps his promises. And the way he keeps his promises is surprising. Let's face it, who would expect that the Messiah would be born to this humble woman from the even more humble town of Nazareth? So God's timetable and his ways are different from ours. But not one of his promises will fail. So the Messiah, the Son of God, comes into our world as a human being from the line of David, born of the Virgin Mary, but the Messiah is more than human, much more than man is elsewhere in the Gospels, in Matthew 22, Jesus quotes from Psalm 110 uh, to make the point that King David himself called the Messiah, the coming Messiah, his Lord. And he's posing this question to the religious leaders of his day, In the form of how could David call the Messiah his Lord if the Messiah is merely human? It wouldn't fit. So Jesus is hinting, actually more than hinting, at his divine nature in his role as Messiah. And over time, his own disciples came to understand Jesus is more than a man. They were confronted with this many times. After he walked on water, let's face it, we don't see it that often. He got in the boat and it says they worshipped him and exclaimed, truly, you are the Son of God. They worshipped him because he was more than a man. In the Gospel of John, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples and Thomas, who had really disbelieved whether Jesus had really risen from the dead, invited Thomas to put his fingers into his nail-scarred hands. And Thomas exclaimed, My Lord and my God. Jesus was fully man, born of a woman, also fully God, miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is the Savior that we need. He is the one that we truly long for. The salvation that we need, as we see, must come from a power, must come from a person, not only outside of us, but greater than us. Think about what that columnist said about the tidal wave of grief and death. Who can save us from that tidal wave? Who can hold it back? Who can can give us hope? Only Jesus, the God-man, because He is the one who ultimately defeated death. Because the Son of God is the Savior we need because as the God-man, His death atoned for, covered over our sin. As human being, He can represent us because human sin. We're on the hook for that. We need a representative. He can offer his life in our place, so he's our substitute. But as God, his sacrifice has infinite value in his perfection. Enough to cover the sins of the whole world because as humans we're unable to make that sacrifice. So what is of greater value than the life of God? That's really a situation we find ourselves in when it comes to sin and death Are situations like people who are trapped in a deep pit. Maybe you saw the story of the 41 miners in India who were trapped uh, for 17 days. Uh, they could do nothing about their predicaments. Uh, if they were going to get out of there, help had to come from the outside. And so they were finally rescued 17 days later by other miners who had to drill through all that debris and extract them. Well, Thought exercise? What if those trapped miners had said, eh, "Don't worry, we'll find a way out on our own"? Not only does that uh, baffle our minds, but they never would have been rescued. We can't dig our way out. We can't dig our way out of sin, out of death, out of evil. We can't make a new heavens and a new earth of perfect peace and justice. We, every one of us, need a Savior. So the good news of Christmas is God has done that by sending His Son and He will come again. So that's the reality that we're confronted with. How do we respond, therefore, to the gift of God's Son? Well, here in the Gospel passage, uh, Mary shows the way. Uh, Just a few things uh, that, that she says. First of all, after the angel tells Mary, you will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, she responds with a very burning question. He says, how will this be? Gabriel, clue me in here. <laughs> I'm a virgin. This, is, this, is not, this does not happen. And that's very interesting. Some people think that having faith means not asking questions. But, but here we find Mary swallowing and believing what the angel says, but really wanting to shape it with some questions for clarification. So you don't have to suppress your questions and just believe. Here Mary asks a perfectly understandable question and the angel does not rebuke her. Biblical faith is not afraid of honest questions. And Gabriel provides answers. He says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words... This whole conception is going to take place by a creative miracle of the Holy Spirit. Now, that still doesn't cut through all of the mystery, but she gets an answer about what's going on. Uh, and interesting about the the word overshadow, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, It's it's used in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Greek translation of it, Describe described the cloud of God's presence in the tabernacle, overshadowing it, that he is presence among his people. So, So Mary not only would have the Son of God within her, she would have the presence of God aligned with her. For nine months... In another way of thinking of it, going back to the Old Testament tabernacle idea, Mary is going to be the tabernacle. Mary is going to be the tabernacle of God incarnate. God with us. God made flesh. So no wonder that Gabriel begins his greeting with, greetings, most favored one. You can't get much more favored than to be the tabernacle of God's special presence. And, And just to make the point, Gabriel said, Remember, your cousin Elizabeth, she's, you know, much, 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 much older than you. She's never been able to have kids. She's six months along. So nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Uh, someone who's been barren, not, now being six months pregnant at the end of her second trimester, uh, that leads Gabriel to make a simple assertion. And the truth of this assertion is really the key to overcoming skepticism about miracles and the supernatural. He says nothing will be impossible If God is the author of the universe and the creator thereof, he has the power, he has the prerogative to do what he pleases within the story of his creation. There was an article in the Atlantic Magazine about the search for alien life. Uh, And the science uh, writer was saying we have a problem defining alien life. Life, because we have a problem defining life. And she writes this very telling sentence. There is a threshold that matter can cross beyond, which the laws of physics do not explain or predict what happens. On the other side of that threshold is life. What she's saying, therefore, is that science can't explain what it is that animates, that gives life to matter. The Bible says God is the one on the other side of that threshold. So yes, these supernatural elements of the Christmas story, angels, ancient prophecy, fulfilled virgin birth, they raise questions. Uh, you know, we've got, you know, as long as our arms. Um, and, and Mary herself getting this news asked, how can this be? And the answer is, nothing is impossible with God. And some of us may need that reminder today. Some of us that needs to hit home If you have trouble believing God's promises, nothing is impossible with Him. As you have prayer concerns for your family, at work, in your ministry, threaded all through your life, let this build your faith that nothing is impossible with God. Look at how Mary responds. She had questions, the angel gave her some answers, and of course she has a lot more questions. Uh, And as this pregnancy goes on, it's going to bring more. But at this point, she responds in faith, in trust. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Obviously, Mary is very unique as the mother of our Lord, yet Mary's response of faith is the response of all believers who have received the gift of God's Son. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Since God has given His Son to me, I am the servant of the Lord. Can we say that? What would it mean for us to live more fully into this identity as a servant of the Lord? How does that look at home, at work, here at resurrection, in your community, whatever place God places you? Let it be to me according to your word. That's the essence of the Christian life. It's not God give me a spiritual boost, some sort of inspiration to help me attain my goals, my dreams, Just shoot me a little TED talk once in a while. No, it is to say like Mary, Lord, I am your servant, let it be to me according to your word. The Christian life is surrender. Which raises another question, since we're talking about questions today. What is the motivation to surrender our life to God? Well, we surrender to this one who surrendered for us. The eternal Son of God left glory, humbled himself, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, even to the point of death on a cross. It is a Christian writer, Philip Yancey, in Who's was talking about how Jesus chose to leave glory behind. And Humble himself says, analogies fail us. Uh, but perhaps it's akin to a human being becoming an ant or an amoeba or a bacterium. So would you and I choose to do that? Most likely not. So the more we understand the greatness of this gift, the gift of God's Son, how He humbled His very self, how He saves us, the more we will be able to say like Mary, Lord, I am Your servant. Amen. Lord Jesus, in all the twists and turns of life, may we be willing to say like Mary, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Give us, Lord, that desire of surrender, of full trust, that we might follow you more nearly and love you more dearly. In your name we pray. Amen.